0: Welcome to the Mass Device Fast Five MedTech News Podcast, the show that keeps you up to date on the latest breakthroughs in medical technology with the top five news stories to get your day started. I'm your host, Danielle Kirsch, and today I'm joined by my co host, Sean Hooley. We have some executive changes today, but also another recall to announce. So, Sean, welcome back. Can you give us a little roundup of what we'll talk about today?
1: I can. Today's news includes an FDA clearance for Onica Therapeutics, an FDA breakthrough nod for Magassist, Axonics, and Tandem Diabetes Care announce executive changes, and another Class One recall for Abiomeds and Pella. I should note this is an opportunity to plug since we're talking about two different executive changes. That on Mass Device we have a roundup of the biggest personnel moves in med tech so far this year. So I would recommend these two won't be in there because they ran after the fact, but. I recommend if you want to check up on all the executive changes in the industry this year, take a look at that.
0: I second that. It's a very thorough and extensive research into all the executive changes that Sean did. So definitely go on the MassAdvice website and check it out. But let's jump into that news from Annika Therapeutics first.
1: Yeah, the FDA cleared the company's rotator cuff repair implant. Regenerative medicine certainly opens up, I think, a world of possibilities in orthopedics, so this was some really intriguing news to read about and and cover.
0: And what is that implant?
1: So it's called the Integrity Implant. Anika designed it to augment an injured tendon, promoting healing in rotator cuff repair procedures. It's a hyaluronic acid-based patch component that joins previous clearances for associated fixation devices and instruments, so this is clearly sort of almost platform technology developed by the company. For the rotator cuff, it's a flexible knitted scaffold that provides improved strength and regenerative capacity compared to first-generation collagen patches. And it supports regenerative healing through improved cell infiltration, tissue remodeling, and tendon thickening.
0: So you touched on this a little bit, but can you just tell us a little more about the design and what does it do for surgeons?
1: Yeah, so it's comprised of a porous, flexible c- construct knitted using Anika's HYAFF hyaluronic acid-based fibers to support that cell infiltration and regenerative healing, resorbing over time as the tissue remodels. So the company says that surgeons can manipulate integrity arthroscopically to offer a unique and differentiated solution for treating those rotator cuff tears. They can fix the implant using peak bone staples, resorbable PLGA soft tissue tendon tax, or suture fixation. So I think it just opens up a lot of different options for surgeons to do whatever they're comfortable with, while also, you know, seeing the results from the regenerative medicine stuff.
0: And when does the company plan to launch this implant?
1: Well, it plans to begin a limited market release in the U.S. in the first quarter of 2024, followed by a full market release in the States, plus expansion into international markets eventually.
0: All right. Now, what's the next thing that we should know for today?
1: Another regulatory nod, this time MagAssist, won an FDA breakthrough nod for its ventricular assist device. We've seen the effects of ventricular assist devices or VADs, left left ventricular assist, LVAD is a popular one, made by big names in medtech. So it's interesting to see another one enter the fold.
0: Yeah, agreed. What is their ventricular assist device? And maybe can you tell us a little bit about how it's designed?
1: Yeah, the interventional device provides mechanical circulatory support for high risk percutaneous interventions. It features a nine French gauge insertion size with a foldable catheter pump to facilitate insertion and removal to reduce the vascular access and closure processes. Once positioned, the catheter pump can operate in an unfolded form to ensure sufficient blood flow with an impeller within the pump that delivers greater hydraulic efficiency at even lower rotation speeds.
0: Interesting. So, what does that small size mean for vascular complications?
1: So the insertion size correlates with the complications, bleeding, blood transfusion, and severe adverse cardiovascular events. The company says reducing interventional size mitigates the risk of those complications and better meets market demands. Incorporating that is a key factor in the design of this NIOC-assist technology. Design the device with an external motor situated outside the body as well that reduces access size to minimize the risk of hemolysis caused by motor overheating. So, certainly, the attention to detail on the size front seems to be the big factor in what makes this a different option.
0: Now, let's jump into some of those executive changes we mentioned.
1: Yeah, the Axonics chief financial officer is set to retire, and the company has already selected the successor from within, and certainly pick someone who should know the ins and outs of the role.
0: So who is leaving and who's taking over that office?
1: Dan Dieren, the executive vice president and chief financial officer, is retiring. And the company tabbed Carrie Keese, the VP of finance and accounting, to succeed Dieren. And her appointment goes into effect on October 2nd.
0: And what is some of Carrie's career background that supports this appointment?
1: Well, Keese joined Exxonics in 2014 and currently leads the company's finance and accounting functions. So obviously, You would think it's the natural next step to chief financial officer. She previously served as director of finance and controller at Exxonix. Before the company, she had the position of controller at Vessex Vascular, a company previously led by Exxonix CEO Raymond Cohen and Deere, now former CFO. Uh, Boston Scientific actually acquired that company in 2012.
0: And what are executives saying about this shuffle?
1: Well, Cohen, the CEO, said that Deeren played an instrumental role in the company's success and the value created for its shareholders. They've obviously worked together for a while, having previously been at Vessex Vascular. And then on Keese, he said that she's a seasoned executive, that the company's confident will excel as the next CFO. He added that her deep knowledge of the company and track record of financial leadership make her an ideal successor to Deeren.
0: And now what about the other executive shuffle that we have?
1: yeah, tandem Diabetes Care's Chief Commercial Officer is set to resign. Some questions left to be answered as far as the reasoning behind this decision is not not much was addressed in the company's SEC filing announcing this, but a high-ranking official is set to depart the diabetes company.
0: So give us some details about his resignation, like maybe when he announced it, when it takes place, things like that.
1: Yeah, so Brian Hansen, the Executive Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer, notified the company of his decision to resign on August 17th, so at the end of last week. And his resignation goes into effect on December 31st, 2023, so New Year's Eve of this year. In connection with his resignation, he and the automated insulin delivery technology maker entered into a separation agreement. Under this agreement, dated August 18th, the day after he notified the company, he remains employed through June 28th, 2024, so... About six months after the resignation goes into effect, but he'll be on administrative leave after that effective date at the end of this year. So, some sort of strange, I guess, probably financial related or whatever the terms of their agreement are, but that's how it's going to shake out.
0: When did he originally join Tandem Diabetes? And also, what is some of his career history?
1: So, he became the executive vice president and chief commercial officer at Tandem in February of 2016. Before joining the company, he served as Chief Commercial Officer at Adaptive Biotechnologies beginning in September 2014, and before that, he was Head of Commercial Sales and Marketing at Novartis's uh, GenOptics. From December 2005 to February 2013, he had a number of roles of increasing responsibility at GenProbe, culminating in his serving as Senior Vice President of Global Sales and Services all the way through when he left for the Novartis company.
0: And now, what's the last thing that we should know for today?
1: The FDA has deemed the latest Abiomed Impella recall as class one, most serious kind. It's the third Impella recall in recent months, although important to stress that it's not a product removal, but a voluntary correction.
0: What devices are affected and how many?
1: The recall pertains to Abiomed's Impella RP-Flex with smart assist devices, and it impacts 65 of those devices in the U.S. Abiomed issued this correction after receiving 12 reports of injuries, no reports of death related to the issue.
0: What is the issue that resulted in this recall?
1: Company recalled the devices because the Smart Assist System's catheter instructions don't appropriately address certain precautions. According to the FDA, the precautions pertain to healthcare providers treating patients whose anticoagulation clotting time falls below the recommended value. Patients with central venous lines and cardiac cannulas with systemic anticoagulation below recommendations of between 160 and 180 are most at risk.
0: What mitigation instructions is Abiomed providing?
1: Company sent all affected customers an important medical device advisory letter on June 29th recommending that to minimize the risk of thrombus formation or deposition, users maintain systemic anticoagulation when indwelling central venous lines are present. This should occur for the duration of their support with Impella RP-Flex with Smart Assist as clinically feasible. The company recommended that users assess the risk for extraluminal thrombus on the indwelling lines placed prior to initiation of support. They should refer to the recommendations included in the best practices pathway in the instructions for use. The company is revising those instructions for use for the device to clarify the risk factors and recommendations related to the potential of thrombus formation or deposition. Well,
0: that's all the news that we have for today. Thanks, Sean, for coming on, giving us your insights, sharing the news, and covering all the news on Mass Device.
1: Of course, as always, read more on the Mass Device website and check out the show notes at massdevice.com slash podcast.
0: Connect with us online. I'm on LinkedIn at Danielle Kirsch, K I R
1: S H. How about you, Sean? LinkedIn, Sean, S E A N, Huli, W H O O L E Y.
0: Subscribe to the Device Fast Five, wherever you listen to podcasts and share this episode. Join us tomorrow for your daily MedTech News Roundup. Thank you for listening.